0: everyone. Welcome to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm Chris Lenton. It's Thursday, August 19th. Today, our guest is Mariano Birkenwald, the Latin America Program Officer at the International Energy Agency in Paris. Mariano, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. And I think the reason I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have you on this podcast is because of the report that you co-authored, as I understand it, on hydrogen in Latin America. Hydrogen is seems to be the topic that everyone is sort of talking about these days. Give us a, a very quick recap of the major or sort of
1: one or two of the important findings of that report, Mariano. Thank you. Sure. And yeah, the report definitely seems to come at a time when everyone in Latin America and elsewhere in other parts of the world seems to be talking about hydrogen. And this is definitely a positive thing. I think that the main messages on the report is that low carbon hydrogen can play a big role in Latin America's clean energy transitions, and also that Latin American can find opportunities, economic opportunities and trade opportunities and opportunities to develop new technologies and build the industries of the future. Um, So those are the two main lines I would say that this report goes into. We see a lot of the potential happening in the longer term not immediately but we also see that there's a lot that the region can be doing right now to help secure and build that future okay so longer longer term you while we're
0: talking 5 years 10 years what's what's your time frame for hydrogen to sort of be a viable
1: energy source I think that that's that's really an interesting question, and I don't think anyone knows for certain when we're going to see hydrogen become a main component of our energy systems. But I, what I would say is that because hydrogen is such a versatile energy carrier, it relies on a lot of different technologies, and many of those technologies are not yet commercially available or not available at the scale we need them or not available at the price we need them at. So this really depends a lot on technological progress and what countries do to accelerate the uptake of these new technologies. What I would say is that now is the time for a lot of research, a lot of investments in innovation, a lot of pilot projects, a lot of demonstration projects, and there will come a time when we have to ramp up these technologies and scale up these technologies. This is, in a way, similar to some of the renewable generation technologies maybe 10, 15 years ago when we had a limited initial deployment that was followed later by a large-scale deployment when it made economic sense or when this could be done with limited support measures. Interesting. And in the report, you say that
0: natural gas, along with carbon capture, is sort of the most feasible near-term path for for expanding low-carbon hydrogen production in Latin America. Can you expand a little bit on that?
1: For sure. So in Latin America now, we have a lot of hydrogen that is currently being produced and consumed in the local industrial sectors, in, in refineries across the region. This is 4 million tons of hydrogen that are produced and consumed on site every year. Which as a percentage, that's about 5% of, of total hydrogen Exactly. But these are, just to put it into perspective, Latin America already requires a lot of hydrogen in industries and in oil refineries, about 4 million tons of hydrogen a year, which is equivalent to around 5% of global demand. This hydrogen production and demand is already responsible for a lot of emissions in the region. We estimate that the CO2 emissions coming from hydrogen production in the region are larger than the emission from all the cars uh, and road vehicles in Colombia, and that require as much natural gas as all the country of Chile. So these are already significant volumes of gas, significant volumes of emissions. Um, Retrofitting existing units with carbon capture uh, and storage solutions And technologies could be an easy way to have uh, an immediate impact on emissions. Because if you capture 90% of that massive, that already massive volume of emissions, then you're getting to significant emissions reductions pretty quickly. Um, What we also see when we looked at the costs is that blue hydrogen, as you call it, we call it low carbon hydrogen, and the particular technology would be um, steam methane reforming retrofitted with CCS, uh, we see it as be as uh, possibly being more competitive a competitive low carbon option in the in the short to medium term in most locations. Um, so we definitely do see a role for for carbon capture. Let me let me play
0: devil's advocate here. There was a report yeah. that came out recently, last week or the week before, basically claiming that blue hydrogen might be up to 20% worse uh, in terms of emissions than simply burning natural gas. What's your take on, on that report and on the role of,
1: of blue hydrogen in, in decarbonization, in, in hydrogen in general? I think that it really depends on the hypothesis you take. Some people say that you could capture more than 90% of emissions associated with steam methane reforming. In that paper, they assume a much lower percentage. There are a number of hypotheses and a number of assumptions they took in that study that maybe are not the same that we would use internally at the IEA. So this is a debate that's going on. It's a very political debate. We do see a role for carbon capture and storage as as kind of a transition to what would become in the longer run, the most competitive option, which is electrolysis. But we do see a role for this in the transition. And we think it's a way to have an impact on overall emissions pretty quickly and a pretty substantial impact. And we think that that's what we need. We need to reduce emissions as quickly as possible and as much as possible, not necessarily be waiting for a single perfect technology to save us, we need. We're going to need a lot of technologies, and this is one of them. Okay, but you know, let, you know, let's let's talk a little
0: bit about carbon capture. You know, Latin America already struggles with high power prices. Is it feasible? I mean, how, will electricity be affordable with these carbon capture
1: systems? Well, there's a number of measures that can be taken to make to make this a bit more economic. One of them, and we discuss this in detail in the study, is carbon pricing which is something that exists to to some extent in Latin America, but that should be expanded in order to play a role in transitioning from high carbon hydrogen to low carbon hydrogen. I think that Latin America is still studying its possibilities when it comes to carbon capture. You have to know if you have the suitable geology to think about carbon capture, and that is still being analyzed. But what I could say is that There are possibilities there that need to be explored. A lot of countries are moving in that direction. I think we need a bit more time to see in which locations this could be a solution. But I think that we are seeing more and more carbon capture and storage projects around the world. I think it's something that we're going to need, and that also applies to Latin America. And some of the same companies that are working on large carbon capture and storage projects in, in the EU, in Australia, in the United Kingdom, are the same companies that operate in Latin America. So potentially there could be opportunities there. Hmm.
0: And one of the big themes for hydrogen, particularly in the natural gas industry, is is repurposing existing natural gas infrastructure to use hydrogen. What are the advances there and where do you see that sort of thing happening in Latin America?
1: I think that that's definitely an opportunity and that's definitely an advantage that countries should try to leverage as much as possible when they think about the deployment of hydrogen. There are some interesting studies done in the EU about repurposing existing gas pipelines to pure hydrogen, and those studies find that it would essentially be much cheaper than building new infrastructure. So I think that there's uh, interesting possibilities to, to explore there. Some specific pieces of infrastructure that we mention in the report are the, the natural gas transmission pipelines that connect Chile and Argentina, which are not being used a lot at the moment. So they're used occasionally during the year and not all of the ones that are built. Some of them happen to go through, so, uh, through the regions that could potentially have some of the lowest hydrogen production costs around in northern Chile and northern Argentina. So I think that those are ingredients that every country needs to consider when when deciding on their strategy and on the deployment
0: where are some of the 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 more advanced projects in latin america
1: both near-term and and longer term the the sort, sort of gigawatt scale ones that you talk about well something we have to mention and that is mentioned in the report is that most of the projects that we have seen have not reached final investment decision What we see is that there is a lot of interest and some of these gigawatt projects that are being announced mostly in Brazil and in Chile, very large projects in the northeast of Brazil, in the north of Chile, in the south of Chile. But we see this more as a time for the smaller integral pilot projects that are starting to pop up this might they might not be or might not attract as much attention as a gigawatt scale project that is deemed for export and not for domestic consumption but these small scale projects such as uruguay's tender it's called the h2u program there are also some smaller pilots happening in paraguay in chile there's a lot of smaller projects related to mining for example that we see uh, as very very timely and as very interesting and as contributing to build the solutions that we're gonna need in the longer term. Um, I don't think that the scale up is gonna happen as long as all the technologies that we're gonna need to actually use the hydrogen have developed to the point of allowing it. So something that we see clearly is that these projects that are integral, they talk about supply, demand, often in a single location, These are the projects that could work in the shorter term. Mm. Uh, And these are the projects that we would need to get things going. There is also some very interesting projects happening in locations you wouldn't necessarily expect initially, such as in Barbados, in Baja California Sur, in Mexico, in French Guyana. These are projects that are combining uh, solar PV with battery storage and hydrogen-based storage with a fuel cell to be able to provide renewable electricity around the clock in regions that are either isolated from the main power grid or in islands and decarbonizing islands is a massive challenge and some of the projects that we're seeing there they're small they're integral and they seem to be getting a lot of traction because they could be competitive now in some locations In an island where all of the generation comes from liquid fuels, electricity prices are incredibly high. So even if these hydrogen-based technologies are still a bit expensive, in that context, they could already be competing in an economic way. The same seems to be true for some projects that have been popping up in different parts of the world and in Latin America, about using hydrogen to run forklifts in warehouses these small scale users could already be economic today so uh, this is something that that should get some attention and that is already getting attention
0: that that's very interesting uh, you know as i understand it the, you know hydrogen is interesting because there simply are some areas of the economy that aren't easy to electrify what what are some of those sectors in in, in latin america some of those, the some of the, the important
1: end users Well, fertilizer production is one of them, and this is a a massive source of emissions. The steel industry and the steel industry is massive in Brazil and in Mexico. There are some high temperature heat applications that could be more suitable to hydrogen than to electricity. We mentioned cement, the cement industry, which is something that is very prevalent in almost all countries, as opposed to the iron and steel industry and chemicals which are limited to the bigger countries in the region and Trinidad and Tobago. So these are uses that we see as very interesting uh, and others are in shipping. There are very few alternatives to using hydrogen and hydrogen-based fuels for long-distance maritime shipping in the future aviation and also in road mobility. We see long-distance transport for heavy-duty vehicles, as potentially something that could be interesting for the region. But what we have to think when we talk about road mobility is that hydrogen is not going to be the main decarbonization driver, but maybe one of the technologies that is going to be needed. So whatever is decided in terms of uses of hydrogen and mobility, it would have to be very closely aligned and coordinated with battery electric vehicles or regular electric vehicles. So these technologies depending on how they develop in the future would have to coexist compete and they all they, they both have different infrastructure needs and they cannot be analyzed independently from each other in a way
0: yeah interesting and what are some of the the, the companies that could take advantage of of this opportunity are, are, are the nocs for example
1: announcing plans for hydrogen Definitely the NOCs in Latin America are interested in this, and two examples I would quote is Ecopetrol, which is working on a pilot project in a refinery to install a small electrolyzer and start, start testing it. In Argentina, EPF through its technology branch, ITEC, is very active in the creation of the the Argentinian Consortium for Natural Gas. I understand ENAP in Chile is also active and there are other companies that are active as well. So uh, I do think that the NOCs could play a role. I know Petroparo the Paraguayan NOC, is also involved in the projects uh, yeah. in that country.
0: And this might not be something that you can respond to, Mariano, but you know, here in Chile there's this, you know, huge push for hydrogen, almost to the point where people are talking about hydrogen as sort of the next copper, which is, you know, the, the main industry in, in Chile right now.
1: Do you see that sort of scale? As possible. But what's interesting about hydrogen to me is that a lot of people tend to think about it only in terms of supply and not too much in terms of demand. And I think that if there is global demand for massive, massive amounts of hydrogen and that demand cannot be met locally, then there would be a huge opportunity for the region to export. But the region is not going to be the only one. Hmm. Australia is thinking about the same North Africa and the Middle East. Eurasia, so Russia and and, and other countries in, in Central Asia, for instance, and they could be better positioned almost geographically to supply some of these markets. I think betting exclusively on the opportunity of exporting would be a risky bet at the end of the day. The countries that are going to be able to capture these opportunities in the future when they emerge to me, are the countries that have prepared the ground sufficiently by working on pilot projects and initial deployment and having active existing hydrogen ecosystems and valleys within the countries and the regulation you need around it and that have created and established the certification mechanisms that are needed and that those certification mechanisms are compatible with the markets that would like to import low-carbon hydrogen There is a lot to do to be in a position to take advantage of those opportunities. I think it's incredibly important that the region is already starting to look at this as a possibility and to build the bridges with those markets. Recently, Chile and the Netherlands signed a declaration about it. A lot of countries are working towards this, but this is probably the time to start small start going up the learning curve, that takes time, establishing the necessary regulation, the infrastructure, the certification processes. It sounds easy, but that is extremely time-consuming, and that depends on creating this long-term consensus in society and among the stakeholders of the industry, that this is a way to go forward, a vision, a shared vision of the role of hydrogen in the clean energy transition and also the role of each country in the global hydrogen landscape
0: perfect and and so just to just to finalize here the iea sees hydrogen
1: as an important part of goals to reach net zero is that correct of course yes yes and it's an important part i mean we cannot just electrify everything there are some things that are going to go beyond electrification and we we have to consider ourselves lucky that we can electrify so many things because that's based mostly on technologies we already know and that are already available at scale. Hydrogen, it's in a it's in a different part of the innovation cycle. Mm. So we, it's it's good to get ready. Well, Mar- Mariano, I I look
0: forward to talking to you as this develops. It sounds like we still have a long way to go, but it's a very interesting topic. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much to you. A pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening to Natural Gas Intelligence Hub and Flow podcast. Again, this is Chris Lenton, the editor of the Mexico Gas Price Index, a daily service that sheds light on the natural gas market in Mexico. It is our belief here at NGI that market transparency empowers markets, businesses, and communities. And that is what we are trying to achieve with this podcast. If you like us, please do follow us, give us a rating, and leave a comment. We're so excited to connect with you and look forward to the next time. In the meantime, stay safe.